Every single day, people take unwanted or unused items to thrift in antique stores across the country. But as the saying goes, one man's trash is another man's treasure, and we are here to prove it. We are here to help you identify valuable things before you throw them away. Join us as we show and tell of treasures found and sold by a full-time reseller with the hopes of helping you find some treasures of your own. Welcome to the What's Sold podcast. Hey, welcome back to the What's Sold podcast. My name is Brandon. I'm here with my good friend, Matt Brock. Some of you know him as Rusty the Reseller. Uh, We are going to be talking about some things on this show that will hopefully help you find some treasures in your attic, maybe make some money. Uh, Matt is our resident expert on all things junk. Can we call it (laughs) junk, Matt? Should we call it junk? Hey, you know, yeah. I mean, junk, trash, but also treasure. Yeah. It just depends on who you are. Absolutely. One man's trash, another man's treasure. That's our motto on this show. So we are going, last week we talked about, uh, or on the very first show, I should say, we talked about paper and we talked about a beautiful vase or vase. Yeah, I can give you an update on that as well. I mean, yeah, what happened? For those who would want to know, I mean, you know, in less than a week, I sold that, that vase sold for $175. So I paid 25 for it. It's a large orange swung vase. And uh, I was able to sell it really fast because the average ones were selling for $200 or more, right? So I sold, I, I bought it so cheaply that I could then afford to undercut my competitors. <laughs> so it's just, that's part of it. Uh, Your worldwide competitors. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how that all works out. You know, you, there is some, well, not some, there's a lot of savvy to figuring out how you price something. Absolutely. Pricing is a really important part of this. When you do that, do you just typically try to go 10%, 5% under whatever your whatever is out there is, is going for? If I want to sell it quickly, yes. So it, it, what I need at any given time changes because it's a very dynamic type of a, a job. And so cash flow is always a, a concern. Uh, or it needs to be looked at. So if I buy something in a large lot, multiple items, let's say, and I am trying to sell more valuable things to get all of my cost back to me quickly, mm-hmm. those items I'm going to sell for less than the average sale because I want to, if there's 10 available, I want that person to buy mine, not theirs. And they're going to buy it because it's cheaper if it's the same thing. When I get all my money back, everything else, I'll actually price up 20 or 30% above what the current average oh. going price is because if they then watch it i'll send them an offer for less or if they offer me less then i can take it i, I sold it I, I made more than i would have if i sold it immediately and they feel like they got a deal so stuff that i already have my money back in that stuff can sit and wait i'm not stressed about it because my i'm not floating my expense right anymore. right you're playing on, yeah. on casino money at that point basically that's, that's right that's yeah right. house money that's always fun <laughs> to do that when you when you can and uh, you're not afraid of giving away state's secrets on the show, are you, Matt? No. I mean, you're telling people you know, what you're doing here. I, that's when I started this out. I watched a lot of YouTube videos. That was that was my primary form of education. To be honest with you, it was mm-hmm. it was following people who were already doing it, and I was learning from them. And so now, uh, the the YouTube channels that I run that I'm most active in, Rusty the Reseller. What sold <laughs> the namesake of this podcast, and then also one on postcards called Postcard Planet. On all of those, I'm just giving information. I'm actually not interested in trying to turn my viewers or listeners into customers. Huh. There's nothing wrong with doing that, and I'm not even saying I'll never do that in the future. But for right now, I'm 
I like giving information. I don't expect anything from people in return. I just want to help them. They can learn from me. It's hard to make money these days. A lot of people lost jobs like I did during COVID. They're just trying to take care of their families, Yeah, you know? And so why not use this cool platform like YouTube or like a podcast to bring this information out there because people have valuable things. It's not that hard to make money on them. Uh, but I get questions all the time, especially on the Rusty channel, where people say, hey, you know, aren't you concerned that giving this information out is going to more knowledge to your competitors means more competition and more difficulty for you? Have you considered that? I, that's a valid question. Uh, but unequivocally, my answer is no. I don't worry about that at all because me finding a little lot of things to buy here in Western North Carolina is not going to affect you in Akron, Ohio. It's not right. going to affect you in, you know, Calistoga, California. It's not going to, it doesn't affect those people. I don't think anybody in Calistoga is selling anything anymore. Trust me. <laughs> I, grew right. up, I grew up out there and, and when maybe 30 years ago, people were selling stuff. Now they're just, they're just buying stuff there, but you know, uh, well, Hey, sure. Absolutely. Maybe they're just selling super expensive uh, resale stuff. But anyway, hopefully they're buying my stuff. You know? Yeah, absolutely. That vase went to some fancy person in Calistoga, <laughs> California. Well, sure, sure. Uh, so Matt, let's get started. What items do you have for us today? I'm going to pick them apart. So let's do this. Wonderful. So today's uh, episode is going to be focused on costume jewelry. Oh, the next episode uh, for those who are who who you know want to tune in next time will be on fine jewelry. I'm going to do a couple of back what's the difference between the ones. two of them? Well, <laughs> what uh, the for the purposes of what I'm going to discuss, uh, I don't know what the technical you know delineation is, but I'm going to discuss fine jewelry as jewelry that uh, incorporates fine materials like silver mm -hmm. or gold. Okay, and and incorporate things like you know genuine gemstones, things like that. Okay, costume jewelry is going to be jewelry that is of lesser quality as far as the, the materials that are made, but oftentimes they are designed based on designs of fine jewelry mm. uh, that people that are popular that people have bought. But they're they're going to have things instead of a, like a you know it's actually a diamond this is going to be a cubic zirconia or this is going to be glass or maybe just plastic in the place of what would be a genuine stone in fine jewelry okay so today and they can still be beautiful though right 100 uh, percent yeah there's some incredible looking costume jewelry it's really just the materials they're using that are different okay. but the, the way that they make a lot of this can be the same so since this is the what sold podcast i'm going to start off by showing a couple things that did just sell I'm packaging. I've already got the labels, but I haven't packaged them because I wanted to discuss and show them. Okay. So the first, the first thing I'm going to show and discuss are this pair of hoop earrings, and I can put up here as you can see. So yeah. for the for the listeners, they're essentially just circular hoop earrings. They've got sort of this like enamel black etched kind of enamely look around them. They look like um, a ring washer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. They look like a small washer. It's, it's essentially the size of a quarter around but they're made of sterling silver Ooh. and uh i may be getting ahead of myself a little bit i'm putting i'm going to be talking about silver in the fine jewelry as well but the reason i want to talk about this during the costume jewelry is to say that when you're searching for costume jewelry if you're buying let's say or you're looking for something of value all the time i find sterling silver mixed in with costume jewelry huh. because people a don't know how to distinguish be between the two or that's not a part of their process as far as identifying it. So a lot of thrift stores, they get, you can imagine over the weekend, a lot of stuff's donated, right? On Monday mornings, the workers come in, they're, they're bringing stuff in, they're putting it out. 
they don't have the time or the manpower oftentimes to research adequately, uh, assuming that they would know how to research it adequately. All they know is this chart. And the chart says rings, $3, earrings, $3, necklaces, $5. And they sort them out, they price them accordingly, and they dump them out. But you, I find things like sterling silver all the time and, and all kinds of other types of costume jewelry. I'm gonna show you a couple other pieces that I purchased this last week. And these are brooches. So like pins, brooches that you would, you know, they have a little pin on the back. Oh, yeah. So here's one, this is, you know, kind of a floor looking design. It's a very light, almost like a light emerald. Let, let me interrupt you really quick, Matt. We're gonna we're gonna of post course. these up on the link on this episode itself. So for those of you that like going, I can't imagine what this looks like, click on that sure. link and you'll see the different images. So just yeah, wanted to absolutely. give people some perspective. Yes, please go check these out so you know exactly what I'm talking about. So one like this, another similar type of piece, very, very flashy, very bright colors, blues. Uh, these are really heavy because they are actually glass. They're, they're facet cut glass stones instead of gemstones. But as you can see, I mean, they're, they're quite beautiful. Here's the last one I'll show you. This is more of a circular design, greens and reds and clear. Um, they've got a, you know, a Ooh, pin on the back of them. Looks like a Christmas uh, brooch. Sure. So out in the stores in the real world, when you find these things, these are going to be sitting next to stuff that is broken, that is corroded, because it's a very base, you know, metal on the inside that, that, that corrodes with oxygen or time. And they're going to be priced the same as pieces that are not marked, marked by Avon, really, really cheap things. But these ones that I'm discussing and showing now were made between the 1930s and the 1950s. Oh, and they are makers that are pretty boutique high-end brands, even though they're not actually branded on them. And so pieces like the ones that I'm showing right now and talking about can sell anywhere from $50 to $100 oh, or more, wow. depending on who the maker is. And I'm finding these regularly for $3, huh. along with all the other costume stuff. Well, wait. So so these were made in the 30s, 20s and 30s. They're mm -hmm. costume jewelry for fancy ladies or ladies that wanted to be fancy at that time or maybe exactly. fancy man who knows but um <laughs> and what do you have any idea what they would have sold for at the time that, i mean in terms of a modern day price like if you went into a store then if you sort of extrapolated it out to today what would those yeah. ty typical items go for in a store oh you know i don't really know the exact prices with inflation it would be you can do that math right you can yeah. look up those things i mean they would have been at the time fairly high-end costs they would be obviously lower in price than silver sure. jewelry or gold jewelry, but they would have been on the higher end of the cost. So buying them now, you're buying them, I would say much less than they would have been sold for new, yeah. but their price has even appreciated quite a bit because there are certain makers of these items that collectors want. So I'm a collector. I want stuff all by Miriam Haskell or Hattie Carnegie or Eisenberg, or the list goes on. There's a lot of these higher end, and it pays. It literally pays to know these names and to know what to look for. Are they still in business, any of these people? Um, some of them are. There's there's brands like Trafari that are still in business that made high, kind of a boutique higher end. The older stuff is actually called Crown Trafari. The, the, the name Trafari usually has a little crown emblem above the T, and that denotes sort of an earlier period of time when they were producing jewelry. Now there's no crown. And I find stuff all the time now that probably was purchased in the last few years. Whereas, and, and right next to that, I could find a crown safari piece that's 60 years old that is worth $150. 
<laughs> but oh. to, to, to looking at it, you may not necessarily know, but that's why it's good. I've handled thousands and thousands of pieces of jewelry. I've sold different types from different eras of all of these brands. But the point of all of this is that if you inherit something from a, a loved one, it's a bunch of grandma's really gaudy looking costume jewelry. Mm -hmm. And you think, I will never wear this. This is ugly to me. Um, it's It can have great value. It can have even greater value by weight than the gold necklace that you're wearing, for example. Mm. So uh, you should know that there are certain brands and, and the way that these pieces are made can kind of give you indications of what they are. So let me ask you a question. Is it just sort of the layperson looking at this? Or when people buy this, like you say, collectors or whatever, are people wearing it or are they just sort of putting it up on a mantle somewhere? Yeah, there's a lot of different reasons why. Um, some people buy, like some people are like me, they buy to resell. Maybe they have a brick and mortar store in a like nice neighborhood. They've got a following and you know, men or women come in there to buy nice, fancy costume jewelry. So they're buying it to resell. Other people collect, they like the colors. These are These are large pieces. They're really bright. They're really gaudy. In fact, I found that the larger the piece and the more bright kind of in your face, it seems maybe the more oftentimes the more valuable or the more huh. desirable it is. <laughs> so, oh. yeah, you, you know, people are coming out. Then also people use them to do craft projects. They compose different things in, in frames or they'll glue them down or they'll they have maybe a mannequin and they'll they'll pin them up all over the mannequin. Sometimes people just use them for storefront, you know, displays and things. There's But there are a lot of different reasons why people would want to buy or collect these fascinating and there's people out there paying really good money for that so absolutely someone who comes along and finds maybe their grandmother passes away or their mom passes away and they find you know i, I was just thinking my wife has a jewelry box from her mom it's got a bunch of jewelry in there that my wife will never wear but she should be right. looking at that finding a guy like matt to look absolutely. at absolutely yeah absolutely yeah so the next thing i'll talk about so that's that's like basic pieces of jewelry that are wearable but not only that you can also find beads and little oh. things like that that people would make jewelry out of they would string them on to make a necklace or a bracelet mm -hmm. there's some big money in potential in some of these types of beads i'm going to show a couple things here i've got a string right here and these are kind of they're like oval sort of in in shape and these particular ones are black and pink and they are strung, this one I'm showing here is strung on a string to make a necklace. But I have a lot of other loose ones as well. And they're various colors. They're made of glass, and then they have little metal rings on either side. There's all kinds of different types of these and ma makers and manufacturers. There's ones made in the U.S., ones made in China. There's varying degrees of, of expertise and value in them. These particular ones I'm holding, though, say 925 on the metal ring. What that means is that the rings on the edges of them are sterling silver. So this is a hand-blown glass bead with sterling silver ends. Each of these beads, and I bought a lot of these at an estate sale last week for about $50. And I'm not kidding you when I say in the little containers, it was something like 22 pounds of beads, <laughs> various colors, shapes. Most of them are glass, but a bead like this can sell for our uh, selling right now between nine and $11 a piece. Wow. And I have hundreds of them. And so I don't really have the time. It's not, it doesn't make sense for me to spend my time listing all day long for days and days and days, things that I'm only going to make eight or $9 on. So I, I put them up in lots 
and I sold a lot of about 18 pounds of them for $260. So right there, I spent 50. I sold three quarters of it in a week for $260. Now I've got all my money back on in profit, and I can if I want. I can I can list these little individual mm -hmm. ones out. It also came with a bunch of necklaces with beads that look like this. These are round as well, but they're facet cut. And they come in various colors. You can find them in, in ones like I'm showing, amber color, like a lime green color, clear, black, red, pink. And these are from the 1940s, 1950s. And these are actually called Czech glass necklaces. These are made in the, formerly the Czech, you know, Czechoslovakia, mm -hmm. the Czech Republic, Austria, West Germany. These necklaces by themselves can sell for 40 or $50 a piece. And I've got dozens of them that came in this lot. Again, not, not, Currently in fashion, not the kind of thing that people are rushing out to the mm -hmm. mall to buy, but they're big collectors. Some people buy these to wear, they buy to collect, they take the beads off of them so that they can then recreate their own piece of jewelry or artwork. So these are out there, it, it, you know, you're going to go to thrift stores and there may be little bowls of these or little baggies for a dollar and you think, oh, it's just beads, like I could just get these at the store. Well, maybe. Or maybe these are vintage beads from the 1950s from Czechoslovakia that will sell for 20 or $30. Wow. And so it's just a dollar. Well, and if you had a brick and mortar operation where you were, you know, specifically selling beads, you know, you could have, you could sell them individually as opposed to selling them in bulk the way you did, make a lot more money. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You could sell them. People could buy them individually in small lots. I oftentimes take large lots and I split them up into smaller ones. Mm -hmm. It is more work than than selling it all together, but I maximize my money that way. I mean, I would maximize my money if I sold everything individually, right. but it might take me two or three years to do that. And so like in this case, or in the case of the vase that I spoke about earlier, what do I, what would I rather have $200 in six months from now or $175 today? Well, I want $175 today because I'm going back out to source this week. And there's a lot I can do with that money in six months. So sometimes it makes sense to like, I'm going to forego some potential profit to get the money in now because there's another deal right around the corner that I'm going to want that money for. It sounds like you're constantly making, doing the professional math on that to figure out what's the best <laughs> yeah. opera in this moment. And that may change a year from now or five years from now, depending on right. cash flow and all that. I, I hope that it gets to where I, I should always do it. I hope that I have more money at my disposal over time, right? But I share that because the majority of people, especially if you're starting out, you don't have like unlimited funds. Who has unlimited funds? Right. You know, you have to make smart decisions with what you're spending your money on. And I, I think I mentioned it last time and I will mention it more and more is that I find deals all the time. I find things all the time I can spend money on and make money on, but I pass on them because the amount I'll make and the time it'll take me just isn't the wise choice right. because I know something I'm going to find something else later that day, later that week. And if I spent the money on the other thing, I'll think, Oh, this is a better deal. I should. And I still do that. But I mean, I do my best to try to, you know, make decisions <laughs> based on you know, my work. So it sounds like Elon Musk is not doing a lot of reselling since money is no option for him. He didn't have to worry about it. It's my point. <laughs> Correct. Well, I mean, anybody <laughs> who has lots of money probably isn't reselling unless they really enjoy it. And there's something to be said for this. There is, are very interesting and enjoyable aspects of this job. The listing part is not the fun part. Right. But the finding the treasures and the things that are cool and uh, that's certainly fun. It's a bummer when you find something great and you don't have the money for it that day. Right. That stinks as well, but that's a part of it. Maybe come back next week and hope it's still there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, on that note, 
we will call it a day. We'll call it a wrap, if you will. We will be back with another episode. We're looking at two episodes a week. So we'll be back with another episode very soon. Matt, appreciate your time. Of course. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Yes. Yes.